0: to Books and Beyond with your hosts, Karen and Louisa. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations, and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl,
1: and she works in a library, yeah.
0: Kia ora. From Karen today, I'm here with Catherine Robertson. Kia ora, Catherine. Kia ora. And her new novel, very much new, very much just out. Called What You Wish For. Now I know that for a lot of Aucklanders, What You Wish For is the next Catherine Robertson novel. Um, And so her previous book, which was called Gabriel's Bay, which is the fictional New Zealand small town, which is the setting also for this book, um, was number four in checkouts in adult fiction last year when we ran the stats. Um, We were preparing the Auckland Library's top 100 of 2018. So these were the stats just before the end of the year. By the end of the year, a Lee Childs novel had come out, which bumped you to number five. (laughs) But that's really an exciting achievement. So congratulations on that. And, um, in fact, the book appears on the top 100 in the category that we call high rotation, meaning the books that fly off the library shelves.
1: It's really exciting to me to know that. Because, I mean, you know, you, you don't see that with the libraries unless you kind of, yeah. unless somebody tells you that that's happening. It's all invisible to me. So yeah. it's wonderful.
0: Like the waiting list, which is already up to 300 people for the new book. I'm just astonished. Yeah, yeah, yeah isn't that great? So uh, besides being an extremely popular novelist, with an underline unpopular. Catherine was a featured author at the 2012 Frankfurt Book Fair and has won an important award for fiction in the library world from the Nelson Arts Festival Library Carnival. So well done. Thank you. And it was welcome.
1: a real thrill. And I got a
0: fabulous trophy as well. Oh, mm. so now you're a trophy novelist. As I am. To being a trophy wife. <laughs> 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 so, um, what you wish for like its predecessor has a wide ranging cast of characters with a wide range of issues and I think the first thing I noticed was this use of multiple viewpoints um, so there's no really one character to whom we're given more access to their inner thoughts than the others um, is that something which was an important choice for you in deciding to write these novels this this and the predecessor
1: yeah absolutely that was a deliberate choice uh, because my first three novels were romantic comedies which sort of get put in the Chiclet category and I was finding that they were a bit limiting and I I wanted to have more of an ensemble cast Um, and so when I decided to write, I wanted wanted to write humour as well but not have it sort of pigeonholed as Chiclet because I wanted to go beyond that. Um, so I actually looked around, did quite a bit of research to try and find a format, and I looked at, ended up, Maeve Vinci and Deborah Moggark both set novels in a place, you know, it could be Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, and then they have a range of um, characters, and they tell those characters individual stories, and then it all kind of coheres together into one novel. And I thought, that sounds great, that'll be easy, and of course I drove myself nuts trying to plot it out. But, um, but yeah, it was a deliberate one so that I could do more people simple as that
0: yeah so also represent more types yeah more types exactly
1: and also do things from because i mean very much still in a romantic comedy you've pretty much got the main you know heroine heroine or whatever your couple is um so i i wanted to have a whole range so you know gabriel's bay had everything from a nine-year-old girl to a 63 year old man and um and what you wish for as well um uh, doesn't have a child as a first person protagonist um, but it does have a range of ages stages etc
0: yeah I think that's one of the first things you notice about the um, chiclet genre which is this it's clearly written for I find it very interesting it's clearly written for a certain audience who are not exactly the people in the book because the people in the book are probably wearing more expensive clothes chicklet also has the comment which i don't which in from what i've seen of your books um it's not a trap that you fall into which is the naming of brands just to let you know where those characters sit in society as a way of expressing i'm very ignorant things. about brands <laughs> so <laughs> you have to do research i do research. not feel qualified to comment <laughs> so it uh, brands and expensive brands so you, yeah. you're aiming at that Public, which is would like to be the journalist who writes for the fashion magazine in New York and wears Manolo Blahnik shoes, but you're probably not while you're reading the book. Well, you could be. <laughs> I don't know if the journalists wearing Manolo Blahnik shoes I have do, time.
1: I don't actually think that journalists wear Manolo Blahnik shoes unless they've got money and coming from a private source. Yeah. But um, well, yeah, but I think um, I mean I you know I quite like reading those books myself. But it's you've got to write about things that feel comfortable to you and that you have some knowledge of and that's not my world at all.
0: Well what I like about when you say I I wanted to, I found that limiting I wanted to move beyond it was there's um, I I might be thinking a lot of American chiclets so um, this is sort of like the sex in the city type thing that I'm thinking of Um, so there is that acquisitional thing so but what people are acquiring are, are objects or clothing as compared to in this book people are reaching outside of themselves and aspiring to something which sometimes they even have trouble expressing what it is they're aspiring to which is one of the more interesting things in reading the book that you along with them you discover you discover together but they're looking for personal characteristics
1: yeah absolutely yeah. I mean I think that's one thing again that I really enjoy doing is getting inside characters and I'm very interested in psychology and you know the kind of the lies we can tell ourselves and the hopes that we don't express and you know how we find courage and um and how we find how we come to terms with who we are even if we don't like our flaws etc or we see that we've got them and we just have to live with them i mean there's all sorts of ways to be a person and i think i like to explore i guess you know sort of what makes people who they are
0: and the fact that in the beginning of the book you said my my um Readers asked for a cast of characters. Yeah. So I imagine it was funny because there is a cast of characters and then there's like a one line to describe them. But I'm thinking, Catherine is sort of setting us up to be surprised here because the very fact, as you're saying, to get inside the characters and make them 360 degrees means that that's a very small starting point.
1: Yeah, and I think I, I sort of... I did that description because, I mean, A, it was the chance to be funny as well. Yeah. And, uh But I think... This book actually only takes place over about six weeks and I mean, maybe eight at the most. And I, so I was capturing sort of certain people at a certain stage. And like one character, Devin, for instance, is just not in a good mood for the whole thing. And I kind of, you know, I felt I need to sort of explain a little bit about his mindset at that particular time. So people wouldn't feel he was grumpy all the time. He's just grumpy in that
0: book. And then he sorts it out. So, would you call that sorting out part of um, also an increased awareness on his part of what 's making him grumpy? am I absolutely yeah.
1: absolutely, absolutely, yeah, he very much has to come to terms with what's pushing his buttons and why that is happening and he's got to make some decisions about how he responds to that so that's that's effectively his sort of character journey i mean he's having things imposed upon him as well so he has to kind of deal with that but most of it is coming from the inside
0: all right so there's sort of a self-realization there's the internal and the externals in the sense of Personal growth. Mm. Um although the word sounds very um just new agey, (laughs) but that's okay. (laughs) Or yeah, more than new agey, boring. (laughs) Whereas (laughs) this is not a boring book. Um but and also but also an external um how you face the world and how you interact with the other people. So there's things about learning to tell the truth to people or or be brave.
1: Yeah, or just being, you know, understanding what the consequences of your actions are. That's a very big theme there. And I mean, you know, it's sort of like sometimes it's great to be uh, bold and to be brave and to be honest and all those sort of things but sometimes those have consequences that you may not
0: be happy with you know creating and just like there could also be reasons why you don't feel the boldness and the braveness which it could be important to nurture rather than to force yourself into exactly
1: and that's the opposite sometimes it is much better to learn how to stick up for yourself and for what's important to you but first you've got to figure out what's important to you you know before you can stick up for yourself and quite often my characters are trying to figure out their priorities and what their values are and what actually in their life you know, you talked about the beginning about acquisition and things like that. I mean, you know, is would their lives be materially better if they were earning vastly more amounts of money, etc., or had a different house? Um, and probably the answer is no, especially not in that community.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was saying, I, I would say no. Shall I put that in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no. Right. Did, yeah. <laughs> um, but so do you think, I, I'm wondering if this is also because I'm a woman, I'm reading the book, so I feel more... Um, I, I have a more immediate um, identification with some of the thought processes of women even though I, I hate to stereotype and say women have certain kinds of thoughts and men have others but it, it is a societal uh, so let's put it that way I, I justify it by saying there is a societal um, trend towards making us think this but I get the feeling that it's the males who are actually take a longer journey the women have more of an intuition of where they want to be am i no
1: you're you're right and um i mean i think the women i always i think when i was sort of writing in the chicklet genre one thing that seemed to be a trope was that the main characters had to be a bit damaged in some way so you know they either from really bad things happening like sexual abuse or because they were you know deeply unconfident or anxious etc and and I didn't like, I, like the damaged woman trope just bothers me and, you know, and often they are rescued by finding true love, et cetera. and I'm just going, yeah, no, I just, you know, okay sometimes, but mm, mostly not. Um, and so I wanted to write strong women and so I think the females in my books, are, yeah, they're a bit more centered, they're a bit more sort of, you know, aware, self-aware and it is the men who are, having to struggle a bit more to come to terms with who they are and what they want and I think I did that because I mean I have two sons they're in their 20s now so I've grown up in a house full of men and you know and their friends etc and I you know this is something we talk about we talk about being growing up to be a man in New Zealand and I don't think there are a lot of books you know you mentioned Lee Child I mean Jack Reacher is a fully realized you know human being he's entirely happy with what he is but he's quite manly you know yeah and I think that it's nice to have other and it's rare to have other role models for men to have a look at and actually understand that their struggles that they're feeling are probably being shared by a lot of other Mm -hmm. men either you know in in their middle age or in their young age so I try to sort of show various sort of stages of men coming to
0: terms with themselves well it is actually um a very topical uh discussion right now about kiwi males and the ability to share being less than perfect or being or having negative emotions or fears or anxiety and Mm. we know that that's you know um it also, in terms of work that the Mental Health Foundation is doing, in the well, and well, Mike King is New Zealander this. of the Year, and
1: exactly. th- his, it's entirely his work is with with mental health and particularly with male mental health. So, yeah. yeah, totally topical.
0: And that program that he did, where he got people to come on and share their stories, was just amazing. How it just the numbers, the sheer numbers of people who came forth. It was you know um, sort of like a tip of an iceberg that when it first started being called to people's minds. So,
1: yeah, and I still think we have a you know, we do have a vast problem in the country with uh the stereotypes that, you know, the stigma of mental illness and especially in men and that sort of, you know, our hardened up mentality and I just think that, you know, there are many ways of being, male or female, or just a human being in this world and I just wanted to explore a whole range of those mm. sort of approaches.
0: I thought um, Dr. G, so for those of you who haven't read the book yet, uh, Dr. G is a is the new GP of um, Gabriel's Bay, and he's come from England, but he's uh, was actually born in India, and he brings a whole new aspect to maleness, which was very well done, I thought. Um, in some ways, he seemed to be the most modern of the males, but then I thought that's probably because in my entire 20 years in New Zealand, I've lived in a big city, so he's maybe possibly more just the big city to me, that seems more modern because that's where I live. Yeah. <laughs> but um, he is, he's a really interesting foil to play off the sort of stereotypes, of, isn't he?
1: Well, he is. And I mean, he's, I, um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right because he is more sophisticated. He has come from, you know, a big city and, and wealthy parents in um, Ahmedabad in, Italy, in India. And then, of course, from London. Um, so he does bring that sort of urban sophistication to it. But, um, yeah, and but he is very much sort of, you know, having a foreigner in a book is a really good device, you know, to kind of, because I ask all the questions that otherwise you'd have to tell through boring exposition. So, they're quite good for sort of getting the lay of the land and orienting the reader in a place and asking things. So, that's useful. Um, but he is... Yeah, he just he he has great confidence in his professional life. He's very good as a doctor. He has, I think, I described him. One character describes him as in a social situations as having the um, sort of the the twitchiness of a flightless bird that's caught whiff of a weasel. Um, so he's just no, he's not relaxed, and he and he very much wants to fit in because he felt like the odd one out in his family. Um, and but he can't see himself in any of the people. But he's only looking at the surface of the the men in Gabriel's Bay and trying to figure out how he can fit in. Mm. Um, and so again, that's his journey is to come to terms mm. with his
0: strengths, etc. And
1: he's
0: got that problem of coming into a role where there was a very loved, yeah, sort of almost patriarchal uh, GP. Before yeah, that's his him. double. His double problem <laughs> yeah. is that
1: you know <laughs> the aptly named Doctor Love, his predecessor, is as yeah. much loved by the town. Yeah,
0: yeah. Did um <laughs> did you have did you, have the, um, did you ask uh, males in your family, speaking of sons and um, husband, I'm presuming, um, to read the, the draft of the book before you made your final draft to get their reactions or other male friends?
1: Did I hardly you? ever get anybody to read the draft, but I do ask questions. You know, and I do discuss things, and so a lot of the stuff that I come up with in the book is based on conversations that I've had about certain situations. What I did do for the first time was because I really want to, you know, make this town as a microcosm of New Zealand and feel real. So I had to talk about cultures that weren't my own. So Dr. G is Indian, um, and Devon and, um, Barrett at, at slash Brownie are Maori, and I wanted to do that justice. So I did actually for the first time get what they call... Um, cultural consultants to Mm -hmm. yeah to read so i didn't give them the whole book they had to go and do that later but um yeah i used a a maori friend to assess that aspect um and an indian friend to assess dr g and uh, it was really fascinating it was great i'm so glad i did it yeah
0: so that was before you'd written the final draft as you were working so you found that did shape some of how you there where you took the book after that
1: well my my indian friend is also a writer so she was looking at it from a writerly point of view which was just brilliant you know you sort of get a whole insight into how she felt his character should go etc and I'm going yeah, yeah yeah cool great thanks taking notes
0: yeah <laughs> yeah so the famous research there was actually that's that's sort of your research was in a conversational way Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah you weren't reading up like when people set their book in a town across the world you have to read up look on google maps to see where the post office is I, <laughs> yours was looking into people's hearts it is <laughs> yeah. yeah and that's why I wanted to make Gabriel's Bay the setting
1: um kind of everywhere and nowhere you know, and so yeah. so many people are convinced they know where it is. And I keep saying, yeah, you're yeah, absolutely right. It is totally there. But it's also there and it's also there. So, you know, I, I didn't... I didn't feel that I... I mean, I spent lots of time in small coastal, you know, New Zealand towns, but I don't feel like I have ownership on any of it. And I also want to make it accessible to anybody who's not been to those places, you know. So, yeah. you you don't want them to make any reader feel like an outsider. So, everybody can visit and everybody can own a part of, you know, feel part of Gabriel's Bay.
0: Yeah, I appreciated that. Um I'm a big... um Uh, I hate to use the word fan but they're trying to get out there New Zealand fiction not to be called New Zealand fiction and can hold its place now in the world and I think somebody in America could pick I know they have um, picked up this book and read it and it's not going to be the fact that it's set in a small town in New Zealand that's going to keep them from being able to enjoy it well you'd hope not I mean you'd hope that you
1: know people in other countries would be happier about reading reading books that are set anywhere because I mean really it's the story of the people more than the place yeah. and people are universal we might have some cultural differences and some language differences but fundamentally we're the same yeah so if it's tapping into those universal themes it should be appeal everywhere.
0: Yeah, I sort of feel like um, this I, I doubt that you planned this but um, the name, the choice of the name Gabriel's Bay as the town name um, it to me, it, uh, it had a reflection I'm very literary <laughs> of um, Gabriel the Archangel um, so, and you know, then there's the, the heavenly in some ways cover with the beach scene yeah. so it's a very warm and safe looking, it looks like a place where you can explore things and you're not going to be pushed over an edge but you're going to be encouraged to explore the themes of the book and the, the aspects of people that you might have never met anyone like that in your life oh, right! so you've kind of got a guardian angel looking after you so as that would be you. this. <laughs> yeah right
1: no that's interesting i hadn't thought the name actually comes because I was introduced to an Irish writer long dead called Don Byrne who wrote this wonderful book called Destiny Bay which was oh. a, again interconnecting sort of short stories about characters in this place in Northern, I- Northern Ireland and um, I loved it. It was written in the 40s and he died not long after and uh, and But I can't call it Destiny Bay because that's just trying too hard. And um But then I was thinking his name was Don Byrne. And then there's an actor called Gabriel Byrne. And that's oh, pretty yeah. much where it came from. And also there wasn't a Gabriel's Bay in New Zealand, which was important. So, yep, that is how authors' minds work. We just make these connections yeah. and it fits.
0: But it also shows how readers' minds work. Because you see, yeah. I put a whole layer on top of that that you had not actually... And you know, um, set me up to, yeah, to feel. But I like that. Was, that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you know, relating back to that feel feel good, you know, which is one of the terms is mm. used for um, this kind of book. Um, the humor is a very important part in this. Um, the almost every other line, everybody when they put there something down on a table or they open a door and see someone, there's a a quip on your part, which is. Um, Not satirical, so I see satire as, again, this is my literary viewpoint, yes, satire as a genre is usually against something, so somebody has an agenda and they use satire to take down an an enemy. Uh, In this book, the humor is Part of that thing that people always say, I'm not laughing at you, I'm laughing with you. But in this case, it actually seems really true. Well, it's got to be compassionate. I mean, I'm very
1: fond of wordplay and I guess what, you know, comedians would call observational, you know, humor. Yeah. And so I like to look at things, try and present something in a fresh way and in a funny way that you might not have thought of before and it also is a great way to describe characters you know you can kind of give a lot of insight into how characters think in an amusing way i mean humor is also brilliant for being a light touch with social issues so you know this would have been if i'd written it completely straight it would have been quite a heavy novel um so humor is a great way of sort of you know feeding the vegetable of social you know hiding the grated zucchini of sort of social commentary into the tomato sauce for the children or something like yeah, that you know. Spiralizing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but humor I mean it's 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 you know I I've always all my idols when I was growing up were my writers were humorous writers either non-fiction or fiction and I have always wanted to do that um, and I was really thrilled because the book that won the pulitzer prize last year was less and it is essentially a romantic comedy it's one of the funniest books i've read i was so pleased by it and i was so pleased it won the pulitzer that somebody recognized that you allowed a humorous book to win such a big
0: prize so that was a big double thumbs up for me do you think that sometimes the literary world feels that if there's a big use of humor it somehow made the work a lighter read rather than a more as you say compassionate read? Oh absolutely, it, uh, absolutely. the instant that the humour's in there it trivialises something and um,
1: and I remember I'm a big fan of Terry Pratchett the late British writer and uh, his good friend Neil Gaiman said that he always get people saying oh he was such a jolly man and he's saying well he wasn't, he was furious. He was furious all the time but he expressed it you know, in, in in humor, in his books. So all his railing against social injustice and inequality came out via a humorous
0: medium. Yeah, and it's a really good way of people putting their defenses down because yes. it sounds more like you're chatting with someone. That's the thing. You could, reading this book, you could feel like you were sitting on a beach towel and I'm with you, Catherine, and you've just come back from Gabriel's Bay and you're telling me the story of these yep. people. And you being a woman with a good sense of humor would be... <laughs> <laughs> embellishing <laughs> yeah embellishing actually you no know, placing them for me i think you know placing them in a place it placing them in a location in my mind where i can make connections with them because uh, the thing about humor is that it also allows you to see people's fallib- fallibility yes. and of course everyone knows about their own fallibilities or we hope people do <laughs> Yeah, not always. Yeah, There is that thing of embarrassment also because I think that comes out well in this book. As somebody coming to New Zealand, one of the New Zealand psyche aspects that I sort of crashed up against, didn't expect, was the um, embarrassment, the the tendency towards embarrassment when interestingly when someone else makes a mistake yes we (laughs) feel for people don't we yeah so when I would get something wrong I'd find the New Zealander not embarrassed embarrassed for me but not being able to even tell me what I'd done because that would be embarrassing yeah that would be making you feel even worse than perhaps you would do yeah no
1: we are we are reticent we are reticent about expressing emotions we are reticent about displays of you know sort of talking about ourselves etc um and but no humor is i think again and you know humor is a. it is subjective it's either your sense of humor it's not but it is a universal thing that we like to laugh and and that laughing is actually good for us physically and mentally and you know and I have no problem with calling this feel good literature even if it does deal with sort of you know serious subjects ultimately it is to make people have an enjoyable experience and feel better
0: at the end also because there are many kinds of humor yes. so this is not black humor this is not dark humor this is what i if i were looking for a word i call it bright humor it's a bright book and it's bright humor and it's something which um i, you know, I hate to use this because it was the classic chiclet adjective it was the sparkling you know oh, yeah but um <laughs> so this is it's not a glass of champagne like you say it's there's serious uh it's not frothy there are certainly um serious issues that everybody can identify with and I think, especially as we were saying, in the treatment of the New Zealand males, um, particularly digs deep into something which is often tied to tragedy in our yeah, days. Yeah. Um, and yet, and yet, as you say, it remains a feel-good read uh you know there's i actually wanted to ask you about that so when we were doing our high rotation category for the top 100 we were you know looking what are we going to call these books so there's the beach reads because it is summertime when the list comes out there's the easy read there's the um escapist read um are there any that as you say feel good probably is one of the best yeah i think yeah i mean i think
1: I mean, it is, it is going to be an easy read. It is going to be all those things. You know, it'd be a great book to read at the beach and over the holidays. Um, but I think, you know, it's a warm read. I like the fact you call oh, yeah. it bright. You know, it's. It, I think, you know, you just want to go away feeling that somebody is caring about the, the you know humanity and the, and the humanity is very strong in the book um and so i think you know you just want to feel a little bit better about the world and that everybody's it's not a dark horrible evil place and even though people are imperfect
0: that that's all right we can still make it work yeah that's very well the use of the you're bringing out the theme of the humanity i think that's absolutely excellent and another thing i was noticing is um you know publishers people make jokes about book covers and don't judge a book by the cover but publishers do a lot of work and spend a lot of money on picking book covers that help the reader understand what that's why we have face out shelving in bookstores yeah that's yeah. why on our catalog you can see book covers and um one thing i really noticed about your book covers is they do have that they very often have a piece of food so like a nice biscuit or a cup of tea yeah, coffee or i think coffee. Was a big coffee. Theme, yeah. the, the coffee <laughs> was interesting um coffee pot which was sort yeah. of like, almost like an italian neapolitan there's that a percolated coffee i mean not Espresso machine. It was a, a home, homie. You might have in your yep. batch. The, you know, the stovetop coffee maker. Um, so there, and then these warm, very warm cr- colors. Mm. So you know, when people say, "Sit down and have a cuppa, and you'll feel better," it is sort of. Uh, reinforcing that isn't it yeah it's it is it's like you know yeah a good a good read is like a good cup of tea
1: or coffee if you like it and a decent piece of cake that you don't feel guilty about yeah and
0: and um to the credit of your publishers and to you how you write the books no um Objectified women on the covers, seen from behind, which is a big new thing in publishing. No, <laughs> no three quarter women, three quarter no women woman walking away, women walking away in a red skirt. Yeah,
1: there's too. Yeah, the red skirt. What's with the red skirt? I don't know. But no, there's too many people in there for it to really. You know, it has to be an object on the cover. It can't be a person because it just it gives the wrong impression about what the book's going to be. Yeah,
0: yeah. I um I do notice also that. Um, I think these are books that. So to make it up to fourth most checked out book at Auckland Libraries, this is not being read just by women, and it's not being read just by women in that domestic fiction, you know, group from that read that are from twenty, from thirty to forty five. You know, Um, I think it is reaching a a wider audience. I think all of these books are starting to be recognized as something which is not just um, for chicks. For chicks. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Well, I would hope so. I mean, that's what I wrote it in mind. And, of course, you know, my family reads it because they're kind of obliged to. Um, but I've had a lot of male friends read it as well and actually, you know, come back with saying that it, it felt like a book that it was going to really, you know, it really resonated with them as well. So,
0: I'm very happy with that. Well, I certainly hope that the word gets out to um, all of our listeners that to try this book um to try Catherine Robertson novels, you can start with Gabriel's Bay, but this is also standalone. He's it is, it set, is. Yeah, yeah. has yeah. a whole new cast of characters. Yeah, it,
1: it's, it would be fun because you can see, if you read Gabriel's Bay, because you can see the characters you know evolve a little bit, but these, this is a standalone story if you want yeah. to read it first.
0: And it has an important standalone character who is the Moose, who we <laughs> are not going to tell you about the Moose. That's going to be your surprise <laughs> because we have run out of time already. I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, it was, check out the Moose people. <laughs> check out the Moose. The Moose is a uh, um, is going to bring a real smile to your face and many thoughts as well so um, thank you Catherine for coming in oh thank you for having me yeah it was lovely and the time went so fast I wish we could have kept on talking but we'll keep on reading and you keep on writing
1: I will <laughs> yes I'm sitting with my show, I'm sort of on a
0: deadline so there you go <laughs> <laughs> lovely thank you so much thank you and uh, kakitiano to all our listeners brought to you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond.